0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel Elmani it's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel Elmani. We get to a, kind of a tough section in the book of Joshua as far as covering it goes you know in one sense, it looks like a whole bunch of cities listed like a real estate list of some sort. But I think as you go through the the study, and we're going to see it today, and we're going to look at a couple of maps and things like that, there's a lot to take away as we look at the lessons that God has for us. But here in Joshua chapter 12, one one individual said this, and coming to this point in the book of Joshua, it says, there's never been a greater war for a greater cause. The battle of Waterloo decided the fate of Europe, but the series of contests in far-off Canaan decided the fate of the world. And here we have, as you study the Bible, you know, you get into the book of Genesis. And right away, God creates everything. He speaks it into existence by the power of his word. He institutes the family. He institutes the government. You know, and what he does is right away in Genesis chapter 11, he begins to introduce the the lineage through whom the Messiah would come. And you're going to see as you study the Bible, it's pretty simple. It's the rise and fall of Israel. And the reason for that is through Israel, we have the written word, Through Israel, we have the living word. Through Israel, Jesus Christ comes. And so when you see this battle right here and you see, you know, the rise of the Jews and what God does there in Israel, it's an important lesson for us to understand. And I think it's good really to tuck away in your heart. And as you see, not only the history of the Jews, but you also learn the lessons. Like I've shared with you guys many many times before, The Old Testament is kind of like visual illustrations in the Old Testament of what we might consider New Testament truths. And so as we study it, we get those illustrations, we get those pictures. What God will do in our life is God will strengthen us. You know, God will help us through the battle. God will help us as a husband, as a... As a wife, as a dad, as a mom, as a, as a worker, as a child, as a, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a fighter, you know, because we're in this battle. The enemy's trying to take us down. Many, many, many temptations that are surrounding us. And the only way that we don't want to just keep our head above water. We want to walk on water. The only way that will happen is when we really begin to study God's word and to learn these things. And He'll strengthen us. And sometimes when someone's going through a section like this in the book of Joshua or maybe Leviticus or, you know, 1st or 2nd Chronicles, you might have the temptation to say, you know what, I'm going to skip that part, you know, (laughs) because it's all these names or whatever. But if you do, you're going to be missing out, you know, because it really takes, in one sense, the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And Paul the Apostle said, I have not shunned to declare to you the full counsel of God. And so I'm excited about going through Joshua and then Judges and then Ruth. And I can't wait. First and second Samuel It's so exciting if the Lord tarries. But I, we better finish Joshua first, huh? And look what it says right here in Joshua chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, "And there are, These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated, and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. And what we're going to see in this chapter right here is the listings of the kings conquered under the leadership of Moses in verses 2 through 6. And then the listing of the kings conquered under the leadership of Joshua in verses 7 through 24. And so we read in verse 2, it says right here, one king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Err, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain and the Sea of Kinneroth, as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth-Jeshemoth and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. And so right here we read about the defeat of Sihon. We've seen this many times in the Old Testament. The king of the Amorites, he ruled in Heshbon. And you can read that more specifically in the book of Numbers 21, 21 through 32. Uh, As a matter of fact, Sihon's defeat is mentioned often in the Old Testament. Now one thing that I think it's good for us to know as we're studying the Bible is when it comes to the Amorites, okay, they were more than just these people right here. They were one of the major tribes or national groups living in Canaan and the Old Testament frequently uses Amorites as a synonym for the Canaanites in general. The Amorites were primarily inhabitants of the land west of the Euphrates River, which included Canaan. We're going to see Phoenicia and Syria. But as time went on, many Amorites settled in large areas both on the east and the west of the Jordan River. And so you'll see it's not just these guys. This is a whole bunch of people both on, both on the west and the east side of the Jordan River. And so we see the defeat of Sihon was an area east of the Jordan River, and it's about 90 miles long. And so we have a map, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you guys can see this or not. But this is kind of like the big picture, generally speaking, of the Amorites. And you see them there, you know, just east of Canaan. But then the next map right here gives you a little bit more details. And this one, I think, is a little difficult to see. I scanned that from one of my Bible um, books. But uh, you see right here, you can see the River Arnon on the bottom. And you can see the Jabbok River right there. You can see Heshbon, which was the capital we're going to see. Of uh, this kingdom. And then next we're going to see the kingdom of Bashan. That's way up there north. And you see even Mount Hermon up there. And so what you see is that the southern portion was actually 90 miles and the northern portion was 60 miles on both sides. We're going to see even later when it comes to Canaan, it's 150 miles long and 50 miles wide. And so the next uh, map right here is probably the best map as far as being able to see it. Um, Although you don't see the rivers here, the river Arnon and Jabbok, you do see more or less, you see the Amorites right there, kingdom of Sihon. That was conquered in verses 2 and 3. And then look right here in verse 4. It says, The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and Edrei, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salka, over all Bashan, As far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maekathites and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These, it says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now again, we read about the defeat of Og, king of Bashan. In Numbers chapter 21 also, but there in verses 33 through 35. Moses commented after his defeat in New Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 11, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. His uh, bed, this king right here, his bed was nine cubits long. And so, you know, he was a big guy, and I mean... You know, maybe a 13, 14 foot bed, if not bigger. And so basically what we're seeing right here, we're going to see later how it all kind of comes together, is a list of how Moses, the servant of the Lord, led the children of Israel to conquer this area over here on the east side of the Jordan River. You know, and and it's so cool. You guys look at verse six again, how Moses is described as the servant of the Lord. You know, and to me, it's an honor. It's a blessing to be able to be called that, you know, the servant of the Lord. You know, the bottom line is, as we faithfully serve the Lord, what ends up happening is not only will we gain ground for the glory of God, but God will use our lives to help others gain ground for the glory of God and the good of his people. What it is, what does it take? You know, some might say, Moses, Moses. You know, the thing about Moses was he was a, a great leader of the people. And he was. But the only way he could be a great leader of the people is to be a servant of the Lord, you see. And that's the way it works. To be a servant of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, some people say, well, to be a servant of the Lord means that you have to be willing to um, clean toilets and empty the trash. And it's true, huh? Are you guys willing to do that? If someone throws up right there, are you willing to pick it up? You know, that type of stuff. Will you kill the cockroach? I mean, I don't know, you know, different things. And that's true. You need to be a servant of the Lord is to do all those little things. But you want to know even more than that, to be a servant of the Lord is to do what the Lord tells you to do. Because a lot of times we do what we want to do or we do what the people pressure us to do. You know, when they pressure us to empty the trash and they pressure us to wash the toilets and we think we're doing great. You know, and that's cool and everything, but remember this, you guys, to really be effective, to help others, you know, win victories like this and to gain ground for the glory of God. To be a leader means that you're a servant and you got to be a servant of the Lord first. And that's why Moses had this incredible title and that's why God used him in such an incredible way. My encouragement to you is to really cultivate that personal and intimate relationship with God. And that way, as a leader, as a servant leader, he'll give you the divine detail. He'll tell you what steps to take by the Holy Spirit because a leader is the one who knows the way and goes the way and shows the way. And he only knows the way because he has a relationship with God. And that's why Moses was used by the Lord in such an incredible way. We're going to see he's even called that again later in our text here. In verses 7 through 24, we have 31 kings who were conquered now under the leadership of Joshua. And you guys are my friends, right? Okay, this is hard. Okay, this is going to be hard. And I know Aaron's going to say, hey, dad, you pronounced that word wrong, you know, because he knows how to really pronounce these words But we're just going to go through it right here. It says in verse 7, And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west side from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions. In the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the King of Jericho, one, the King of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one, the King of Jerusalem, one, the King of Hebron, one, the King of Jarmuth one, the King of Lachish, one, the King of Eglon, one, the King of Gezer, one, the King of Deborah, one, the King of Geder, one, the King of Horma, one, the King of Arad, one, the king of Libna, 1. The king of Adullam, 1. And the king of Makeda, 1. The king of Bethel, 1. The king of Tapua 1. The king of Hefer 1. The king of Afik, 1. The king of Lasharon, 1. The king of Madan, 1. The king of Hazor, 1. The king of Shimron Meron, 1. The king of Akshaph, 1. The king of Tanakh, 1. The king of Megiddo, 1. The king of Kedesh, one. The king of Jachneim in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in the heights of Dor, one. The king of the people of Gilgal, one. The king of Terza, one. All the kings, 31. And I bet you, if you studied this in depth, I'll bet you, man, you'd get an incredible Bible study about it. You know, because nothing is ever random. But what we're going to see as we go through our study today is there's a list. There's a list of victories behind us. And what happens a lot of times is we we forget that list. We forget what God has done for us. And we got to remember, man, if necessary, write it down. If necessary, keep a list. Because that list of the past faithfulness of God can be used by God to encourage you in your future, your future faithfulness for God. You see... Because as we look at the past victories and we see, wow, look at all these things God has done. You know, without forgetting about them, without burying them, without going forward and having that cognizant understanding of what the Lord has done, then we're not going to make it. But when we look back and we see, wow, look at what the Lord has done. Oh, my, it encourages us to go forward, you guys, in what the Lord wants to continue to do. And so we're going to come back to this later. We see in looking at this a couple of things. 16 kings defeated in the southern campaign. 15 kings defeated in the northern campaign. We see that not everything prior to Joshua chapter 12 is mentioned. And just the significant battles. But Joshua took note of them. And it's so cool how, you know what? He wrote everything down. Look at what the Lord has done. You know, I've been a Christian since 1989, and so, you know, I'm getting up there, you know, in age, so to speak. And I bet you, you can talk to so many of the people who have been walking with the Lord for many years, who's, God, who's, who's been given God's grace. And they can tell you about how good God has been, about how powerful God has been. They can tell you about how the grace of God has covered their life. And, you know, we haven't always been perfect. We haven't always walked up right. We haven't always, you know, had it all together. But the grace of God has lifted us up. The grace of God has given us a second chance. You know, and here we are today. And there are those times where we've had those victories. And we've seen His power. And, you know, I pray that we would just never forget what God has done. You know, Peter talks about that. He said, you know, the individual that is not growing, that's not growing up that ladder of virtues is the individual who's short-sighted and has forgotten what God has done. And so here we have this list, a beautiful list, of all these kings. And it's kind of funny. One individual said they don't even mention their names. It just mentions the city that they're from. Because, man, you know what? You know, when you're living that life of, I guess you could say, wickedness, that your name is forgotten. And we see that in the Proverbs. At one time they were famous, the king. But now we don't even know their name. And so Joshua 12 is kind of a summary of the cities that were conquered on both sides of the Jordan River. We move now to Joshua 13. And from this point, I think all the way to chapter 26, we're going to see the division of the land. And so look what it says right here. First of all, in Joshua 13 verse 1, this is kind of funny. It says, now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, (laughs) advanced in years. (laughs) And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites. From Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as the Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites and the Ekronites, also the Avites... From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal, Gad, below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the brook Mizrath and all the Sidonians them I will drive out from before the children of Israel. And we'll stop there. It's kind of cool. Like I share with you guys, there's a list behind us and there's a list in front of us. You know, and we know the list behind us. We should be able to acknowledge those things. And when we get with the Lord, He shows us, not maybe not the exhaustive list, but He'll show us the, the list in front of us, the things in our life those uh, areas of our life that need his strength. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. You know, we don't know for sure Joshua's exact age right here, but he was probably around 100 years old. Think about that. I mean, anyone here 100 years old? That's old, huh? You know, we know that he died at the age of 110, we, according to twenty-four twenty-nine in Joshua, and the events in the final portions of the book are probably around 10 years uh, time frame, And so right around 100 years old. But it's so cool, you guys. Even at that age, there's still more for him to do. His servant leadership responsibilities were not over. You know, for those of us who are getting a little older, some of you guys here, you're getting a little older. I've talked to older people. I've talked to older people who maybe even can't even get out of the house a lot. And a lot of times they feel like there's not much they can do. But I try to convince them. I say, listen, as long as you're still alive, man, there is a great work for you to do. And we need to really take heart in that, you know. We see that a few times in the Bible. In Psalm 71, in verses 17 through 18, it says, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed... Oh, God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. You know, it's like, man, it doesn't matter if I'm old. God, continue to give me strength. I still want to tell your truth to the next generation. You know, it reminds me of this man, John Stott. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He died Wednesday. He passed on. He's home in heaven now. You know, the Lord used him in a great way in my life. You know, but this guy right here, 90 years old, he finally went home to be with the Lord. But man, the way he finished was amazing. He put out a really good book last year called The Radical Disciple. Imagine writing a book at the age of 89 years old, you know. To the very end, they say that he was still there ministering. He lived in a modest two-bedroom apartment above a garage. He never married. He lived his whole life serving the Lord. You know, and it, you're, you're, we're not too old. We've got to know God wants to do a work in our life. I love Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, and that's the key, be planted in the house of the Lord, shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. Like that, right? They shall be fresh and flourishing. And so whatever you do, you don't think you're too old, man. No way. That's not from the Lord. That's from the devil. That's from the flesh. That's from the world. Believe you me, God can use us still even as we get older. And that's where Joshua was. It's kind of funny. He was old. God said, you're old. (laughs) And it's okay to say that, I guess. But God says, listen, there's still more work for you to do. There's remaining land to be conquered. And in looking at this, we see the way that everything balances out. Now, back in Joshua 11, verse 23, it kind of looks like they had already conquered the land. But now in chapter 13, verse 1, it kind of seems like they didn't. And so one person said this. It says right here that Joshua and his army did take control of the whole land by destroying the key cities with their kings and people. But Israel didn't take every little city or slay every citizen or ruler They did enough to break the power of the enemy and establish control over the land. But once this was accomplished and there was rest in the land, Joshua was then able to assign each tribe its inheritance. And within each inheritance, the tribes had to gain mastery over the remaining inhabitants who were still there. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, our life, you guys. It's a spiritual parallel. You know, we were in bondage to Egypt. But God sent the Deliverer, the Savior. He sent Jesus Christ, and He set us free through His blood. He was the Passover Lamb who brought us out of the world. And so we eventually make our way now at the brink of the Promised Land, after the dark days of doubt and the wandering in the wilderness. But we need to know that still the battle is not over. The war is won, yes, but battles still linger on. And although we have the core of victory, we still face Pockets of resistance within our own heart. And that's why we have to take this and say, okay, Lord, what is this? how does this work in my life? It doesn't matter how old you are, there's still more growing to do. There's still more refining in our life. God is chiseling away at our character because He wants to really, truly change us, empower us, and make us like Jesus Christ. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting in looking at this right here is that when you look at this uh, this whole thing... In one sense, the battle was kind of over as the combined forces you know, of their army. They were all together. They gained control of the land. All the tribes were fighting, right? But now, individually, individually, each tribe must now fight within its lauded territory, those pockets of resistance. And you know, there's this thing that we have. You know, As a whole, we're a church. And you've got the church universal. You've got the church congregational. And you've got the church personal. And within each one of them, there needs to be victories. Us as a church here, Calvary Chapel on Monday, there needs to be a victory. But in your own life, your own church, your own heart, your own temple, there needs to be victory. You know, you've got team sports. You know, baseball, football, they're team sports. But you've got individual sports as well. You've got wrestling, you've got boxing, right? And that's the way it is for us, you guys. Individually, there's those pockets of resistance that God will... He says right here, look again in verse 6, I will drive out. I will drive them out. But we're going to see later, they didn't let God drive them out. And God is just saying to us, listen, I'll give you the victory. I'll give you the power. I live inside of you. But you've got to yield yourself to me. You see, and in looking at this, we see... The lesson is this: amazing, you know, the, the illustration, the visible reality. Look again at verse 6. It says, All the inhabitants of the mountain from Lebanon, as far as the brook Mizraphath, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel. Here it is, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. A couple of real quick things we'll touch on, you guys. When it comes to the land, it was number one, to be divided by lot. And then number two, we see here, introduced to us in the book of Joshua, the concept of inheritance. Now, in spite of the many references to casting lots in the Old Testament, We don't really know anything about them, man. We don't know what the lots were. Some say they were sticks of various sizes. Some say they were flat stones like coins. Others say that they were kind of like device uh, things that were thrown. Again, we don't know for sure, but we know this, that this was their way of determining God's will. Proverbs 16, verse 33, it says, A lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so when it comes to the inheritance and the land, God was the one who chose their inheritance. God was the one that gave them the land. The Lord was the one who determined the division of the land. He used lots to do so, and this determined their inheritance. Now, when it comes to the inheritance, it's kind of an interesting thing. We have a heavenly inheritance. One day we're going to die, and we're going to get that inheritance, the rewards based on the motives of our heart, whether or not they were true and faithful. But we also have, in one sense, an inheritance on earth. An inheritance determined by God with certain boundaries we are not to pass with certain areas of land that we are to possess. You know, if you look at one of the maps right here, I think we have this map. Here we have the 12 tribes of Israel and you have the different, I guess you could say, boundaries that were allotted to them. Okay, now let's just say your name is Gad. Anyone here named Gad? Just out of curiosity. You should name your kid Gad. I think that's a cool name. But anyways, let's say you were Gad. God says, okay, this is your land. I want you to possess all of it. But I don't want you to pass it. And there's a lesson there for us. I want you to be everything you were supposed to be. Nothing less. But then again, nothing more. And that plays out into our life in so many different ways. You know, where we understand the calling upon our life and then we go out and we're faithful to do that calling. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and forward, it talks about how we are, you know, to, to, to make sure that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, to, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith and whatever our gifts are to exercise those gifts. Nothing more And nothing less. See, God's the one who gives us this inheritance. He's the one who makes that decision. And so our job is to do what? Find out what he wants us to do. And then to go and to do it with all our heart. You see, that's the concept of inheritance. You know, and this is your inheritance. You are to be who you are personally. That's the godliness. You are to be who you are in the family institution. That's the gang. And you are to be who you are in the sacrifice of ministry. And that's the gifts and the gospel. In one sense, it's just honesty. It's humility that's balanced with responsibility. What has God called you to do? Where are you in the kingdom? Where are you in the church? What part of the body are you? And you find out what your boundaries are, what your allotted land is, and you possess it. You fully possess it. And you don't, you know, pass it. Always keeping in mind that God is the one who chooses this. You know, we didn't choose. He chose. And we find comfort in that. So in verses 8 through 14, we have a general statement about the east side of the Jordan now. Again, look what it says right here. Uh, What chapter are we in, you guys? So yeah, we're in chapter 13. Okay. With the other half tribe, the Reubenites, And the Gadites received their inheritance which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. From Eroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine. And all the plain of Medeba, as far as Debon, all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon. Gilead and the border of the Geshurites and the Maakathites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan as far as Salca, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edri, who remained at the, of the remnant of the giants for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maakathites, but the Geshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. And so here we have a general statement again, if you go back to the other map, well, actually you can stay here, of this um, east side of the Jordan, of the land that was given to them. And so it's a general statement and then it will get a little bit more specific in just a second. And we read here in verse 8 that the eastern tribes received their inheritance, referring to the fact that at this point they had received it by lot. These soldiers from the half-tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad, they actually won't go back to their land until Joshua chapter 22. Now, this was based upon the agreement they had made with God through Moses that what they would do is they would cross over to the other side. They would help their brethren first on the west side, fighting at which point they could then return and live within their inheritance on the east side. You know, and... There's a lot of debate. Some people say, well, you know what? They should have never gone on this side of the river. And it's a possibility. But the problem with that view is that in all reality, Israel was supposed to gain all this ground over here to the river Euphrates. And so we're not really sure. God seemed to have given them the permission to be on that side of the Jordan. You know, in looking at this, it was pretty good. But it wasn't all good because look again and we read in verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites. As a matter of fact, the Geshurites or the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. See, it was cool what God was doing, but now we have a marred report in the sense that the children of Israel did not drive out their enemies. Now, if you'll notice right there, it doesn't say they could not drive out their enemies. It says they did not drive out their enemies. And their enemies, as a result of that, lived among them a very long time. You know, again, it's a lesson for us how we need to, by faith, drive out the enemies and pulverize the pockets of resistance that want to live among us. It's not that we cannot, because God lives inside of us. The problem is that we will not. And so it says right there that these people dwell among the children of Israel until this day. I was thinking of a few verses over in the New Testament. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war In your members. See, there's things among us that God wants us to drive out. And the reason that we fight and the reason that there's war is because of our own desires. And that's why our desires must die to His. Ephesians 5, verse 3, it says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. It shouldn't be among us, it shouldn't be even a hint of sexual sin in this church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, For you are still carnal, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? See, God wants us to behave supernaturally, not naturally. And if we try to fight this fight on our own strength, we will be crushed. We will be killed. We have to function under the power of the Holy Spirit. Especially when God calls us to do a work. What we see right here. Look again what it says in verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites. But the Geshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. You know, I think of that word nevertheless. Nevertheless. Oh, Lord, please help us to never be less than what you want us to be. Please never say nevertheless about me. God, help us to be what God's called us to be. In verse 14, we see the land east of the Jordan was given to the two and a half tribes. But we read again in verse 14. Notice what it says right here. It says, only to the tribe of Levi... He had given no inheritance. And you're like, oh, that's not fair. But look what it says The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. In one sense, the tribe of Levi didn't get their own land, you know, to fix up their house. You know, theirs wasn't a relationship of that type of ownership. Their inheritance wasn't a white picket fence. They actually got something bigger, something better. They got to serve the Lord in a very unique way up front, close and personal to see the Lord and even be involved in the sacrifices of the Lord made by fire. You know, literally in the Hebrew, it's kind of interesting that what the word inheritance means is their source of food and life. It was their source of food and life. And that means two things. Just like Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the father. And that's what sustained him. That was his life. You know, and it's got to be our life. Sometimes I see a calling on an individual and I see God calling them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're running and they're getting entangled in the affairs of this life. And God says, your life is a calling that I give to you. And we have to be so careful with that, you guys. Because we get caught up in this world. And Paul the Apostle said, if you're a soldier and you want to please God, do not get entangled with the affairs of this life. In one sense, that was them, you know. They're calling into the ministry. And, you know, I know for all of us here, you know, our ministry is different. And sometimes it's the family and sometimes, you know, it's the friends more than other things. But sometimes it is the church and sometimes it is that part of the body of Christ. And God wants you to step up and to begin to make those sacrifices. That's who the priests were. In one sense, that's where they were at, right? But at the same time, we know there's more than that. Not only would they be able to serve in these offerings, they would also be able to receive from these offerings, including the tithes and the first fruits. And so that was their inheritance. As the people gave, they were then able to live and be supported by them. In verse 15, notice what it says right here. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben as an inheritance according to their families. And their territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine and all the plain by Mediba, Heshbon, and all its cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Meon, Jehazah, Kedemeth, Bephath, uh, let's see here, Kerjathim, Sibma, Zareth, Sehar, and the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshimoth, all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, who were princes of Sihon, dwelling in the country, the children of Israel also killed with the sword, Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them, And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families, the cities, and their villages. And so here we have the inheritance given to Reuben. Now, the interesting thing about this is Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. And if you study the history of uh, this culture, if you were the firstborn, you were supposed to receive what? A double portion. Right? But Reuben had sinned. Right? Reuben had, you know, not only killed uh, people that he shouldn't have killed there in the Dinah incident, but he also committed sexual sin in that he slept with his father's concubine. As a result of that, he then lost his inheritance. It was then given to who? To Joseph. We're going to see later that Joseph gets two, right? Manasseh and Ephraim representing Joseph. And so it's kind of an interesting thing how. You know, we need to be so careful, you guys. You know, you can't look back and redo the past. But you you should look forward. You should look forward and walk wholly before the Lord because the Bible says this, that whatever we sow, that we will also reap. And so there needs to be a love for God and there also needs to be a fear of God. And as Reuben, we see the inheritance right here. He was then, it was kind of the area of Moab and the Midianites As they conquered that area and as they were allotted that area, it's kind of cool. Balaam, this guy who had seduced Israel into sin, again, another example of how one day your sin will find you out. And so we have Reuben as an example. And then we have the land of Gad. Look what it says in verse 24. Moses also had given inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Aror which is before Rabah and from Heshbon to Ramath, Mizpah and Betanim and from Mahataname to the border of Deber and in the valley of Beth, Haram Beth, Nimrah, Sukkoth and Zaphon the rest of the kingdom of Sihon king of Heshbon with the Jordan as its border as far as the edge of the sea of uh, Kinnereth which is also the sea of Galilee on the other side of the Jordan eastward this is the inheritance of the children of Gad according to their families, the cities, and their villages. And we see that here again on the map. Pretty simple. And then we see in verse 32. Let's see where are we at. Okay, verse 29. I'm sorry. And then Moses also had given inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair which is in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead and Ashtaroth and Adriai, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were for the children of Macher, the son of, the son of Manasseh, for half of the children of Macher, according to their families. And so again, you look at the different inheritance that each tribe received. We know that Manasseh, Half was on the east side and we're going to see later. Half is on the west side. They're receiving their lot, right? Their inheritance. And then we read in closing in verse 32. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the Levi, the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. I love this. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. Okay, and so maybe you're here today and you don't got a million dollars. Any of you here in that camp? <laughs> maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, I'm just a renter. You know what? You're not a second-class citizen, man. You've got a mansion in the sky. You've got an inheritance that God wants to give you. And you've got to work, more importantly, a work to do for the glory of God. All you've got to do, though, is find out what your you know, lot is, what your boundaries are, and possess them. Don't pass them, but do possess them how for the glory of god and i love what it says right here at the end that levi not only got got to work for god but man they got god they not only served him but they received him isn't that awesome you guys you know since we are his people we are his inheritance and since we are also his priests he is our inheritance and that is the beautiful thing about Christianity. You know, yesterday I was talking to this one guy and he was telling me about it. you know it's kind of interesting, striking up conversations with all these different people there in the park. Don't you guys just love witnessing to non-believers? Do you guys love that? Isn't that like awesome? they so like, man, this is what you know we're made to do. Anyways, I was talking to this guy and he was telling me real sincere, real sincere guy, he was telling me about how his dad, you know, is is meeting with these people and he, he even he said, Man, it's really weird. And basically how he's telling him about how all the other religions, you know, how all these they are all the same, you know. And so I got to share with this guy, no way, man, there's nothing like Christianity, man. There ain't nothing like our personal God who came down himself and died for us. There's nothing like our God. Everybody else is trying to work their way up to the mountain. No, our God came down the mountain. He died on a cross and he lives inside of us. See, we have him. He has us. And it's a beautiful relationship that we have, you guys, as Christians. Real quick, I want to give to you guys just five lessons. I know there's a lot, a lot here. But if you want to write down some things that maybe you can meditate upon later, um, here's five things that we have, you guys. Number one is the lot. We kind of learned this from our study tonight, the lot. And, you know, as they're throwing the dice right there, we know that Proverbs 16.33 says it's every decision is from the Lord And so, you know, let God choose. Don't be like Lot. It's kind of funny, huh? (laughs) He chose for himself. No, let God choose in our life. Number two is the land. I encourage you to fully possess it, but whatever you do, don't pass it. Fill that land for the glory of God. Number three, we learn about the leader. How the effective leader is the servant of the Lord. And so find out what God wants you to do. And when God leads you, then you will be then a good leader. Really, a good leader is just a good follower, right? Of Jesus Christ. And then number four is the list. Praise God for past victories. Please God for future victories. There's a list behind us, you guys. And in one sense, there's a list in front of us. And then number five, we learn from the Levites. And we learn this, man, that as we're serving the Lord, as we have a heart to serve the Lord, it's such a beautiful thing to know. That God Himself is our inheritance. Hey, what'd you get, man? You know, when you became a Christian, you know what'd you get for Christmas? You know, I got God. I have God in my heart. I have God in my life. The Creator of the universe is 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 with me all the time, and that is such a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing for us to celebrate today. And so, as we close in communion tonight, man, I really encourage you guys to really, really. Just draw near to God. You know, maybe look back on the list of things he's done and maybe even look forward on the list of what he wants to do. How basically he really wants tonight to meet us here, to empower us by his Holy Spirit. You know, if you believe, then you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be a doubter. The Bible says, let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. But you believe tonight as we draw near to Him, as we thank Him for His cross and what He's done in our life, then I believe right here, right now, God wants to do a new work in all of our lives. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. A lot of, a lot of names, a lot of cities, Lord God, maybe to us they, they don't mean a lot, but to them it, they did. To them, Lord, it meant so much. As You gave them victory after victory after victory, after victory. How, Lord, You, as as Joshua, as our Joshua, have done the same for us. And so, Lord, as we close tonight, I pray, Lord, for Your people, that You would encourage them and strengthen them. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who's maybe not a Christian, who hasn't really surrendered their heart to You, that, Lord, tonight would be that day, that time of salvation that right now by your Holy Spirit because only you can save a soul that they would repent of their sins and turn and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior Lord and as we have communion tonight I pray Lord you'd bless it pray that you bless this time of worship and as we search our hearts and as we look up Lord I pray for every person here that they would be encouraged in this personal relationship that we have with Love you. Please bless this time.